Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. God bless you, and thank you for joining me. Today, I am back in our One in Messiah series, as we are beginning to draw to the close of this series. And today, we're going to look at Lesson 8. And in Lesson 8, we're going to talk about inheritance, heritage. What is heritage? What exactly is this Jewish heritage that we are celebrating as being one in Messiah with them? Even though we might be Gentile Christians and they are Messianic Jews or Jewish Christians or however they prefer to call themselves, such as Marty Getz likes to call himself a Jew born anew. So we want to define heritage first. A heritage is an allotted portion or a possession or estate. It's property or rights that are to be inherited. I'm going to take you through the teaching part of this lesson. In our class this week, in our live class, we did have by Zoom, we were joined by a father and an adopted son who were there to tell us their story. And I'm hoping to bring a taped version of that or a taped replica of that interview and that testimony from them here in short order to you and I will post it as one of our One in Messiah bonuses. So please be looking for that in coming days. But right now what I want to do is go over the actual lesson from the scriptures that applies to this. And so I want us first to look at Psalm 16. We're going to look at a couple of things that the scripture calls an inheritance. In Psalm 16, verse 6, it says, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. David is writing this. Let's look now at Psalm 119. And we're going to look at verse 111. And in this, the author of Psalm 119, who we presume to be David, but it is not specifically named, tells us this, your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. He's talking about the word of God here and how to him the word of God is his greatest inheritance, greatest heritage. And as a matter of fact, he considers the word of God the rejoicing of his heart. It reminds me of Jeremiah, who said the same thing. I think back to the inheritance that I was left from my mother. My father passed away first, and then my mother left me. The greater heritage that I was left is something that money could not buy, because I remember, and I was left with a legacy and an inheritance that is priceless. You couldn't put a price tag on it. I was left with a, a heritage of the Word of God, of prayer, of knowing Jesus personally. I saw my mama live it out every day when she would spend hours praying for the needs of others and for our needs as well. When she would spend hours with the TV turned off way back when we had those old, big old televisions that sat in the middle of the living room and they were analog and in this big casing thing cabinet type thing. 
And yet it was turned completely off and she had her Bible and she had her notepad and she had her commentary and her concordance and she was studying the word. She gave priority to the word of God and to communication and relationship with God through prayer and through time she spent with him. Choices she made, those became an inheritance to me, just like the, the psalmist here are talking about a goodly inheritance. The testimonies of God, the word of the living God being our heritage forever, and that being the rejoicing of our heart. Praise be to God. Then if we look over into First Peter, we find some other information about our inheritance. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 and verse 23, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And then verse 23 says this, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Do you see, beloved friend, the inheritance and the heritage that we have that Peter tells us here is reserved in heaven for us is simply because we have been begotten as sons. We've been born again as sons and daughters of God. We have now entered a relationship of sonship, of heirship. We have an inheritance as sons and daughters through being born again into the family of God. Let's look at John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, to those who have entered a sincere relationship with Jesus through faith in his blood, through faith in his name, through faith in the work that he did for you on the cross by paying the death penalty and the ransom for your sins and giving you eternal life when you believe in his atoning work on the cross. That is what has made you and given you the right to be called a child of God. You are now begotten, born again, and have entered a relationship of sonship and you have an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. So I want us to look at this concept of sonship and adoption. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 17, it says this, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Jesus had said before that even if they die physically, they're going to live forever. So we have life forevermore. Whether our physical body goes through death or not, we have life forevermore if we live by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body here through the power of the Holy Spirit because we are now children of God. Verse 14 again, 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So here Paul is telling us more about the adoption that we have. Not only does he tell us in Romans 9 through 11, especially chapter 11, that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we now, being wild olive branches, have been grafted into the original tree with the original branches that were steady and that stayed put and remained in Jesus and the other branches that were broken off that are now being grafted in again. But now we've been grafted in. We've become children of God as well. And now we've been given the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted so we can cry out to God, Abba, Father, praise be to the Lord. In Romans 11, verse 16 and 17, hear this as well. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. He goes on and he says, don't boast against the branches because God is able to graft them in again. But here he says that we've been grafted in through adoption and sonship, through our faith in Jesus Christ. We have been begotten as sons and therefore are partakers, sharers in, inheritors with the original branches. Sharers in the concept of the inheritance that God has for the children of God. In the New Testament, the church is known by several different names. We're called the bride of Christ in some places. We are called the wild olive trees that were grafted in. We're called the called out ones, the ecclesia. We're called the church. We're called in one place, the followers of the way. We're called in another place, Christians. But another one is children of God. And we read it just a moment ago in John chapter one, verse 12, that we have by faith in Jesus, by receiving him, been given the right, the authority and the privilege to become children of God. Think about this for a moment. It is a privilege for you to be known as a child of God. The God who made the entire universe, controls it all, has every one of the billions and billions times billions times billions times billions of stars and planets and galaxies, has every one of them named not one is missing, not one gets lost and outside of his view. The God of the universe, the God who controls it all, the God who is over all brings you and I through faith in Jesus Christ into a sonship relationship with him. 
that we become children of God, sons and daughters of God, and heirs of his promises. Our pastor just recently preached a message, and he spoke about how every promise in the book is mine. There was an old song that had that as his chorus. Every promise in the book is mine. Every promise in the word of the living God belongs to the children of God. And if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, sincere faith, and you've entered that relationship by becoming born again, then every promise is ours. We do have a goodly inheritance, as the psalmist said. We're going to look a little bit later into Galatians chapter 3 and see some connections there. But Paul is speaking here in Romans chapter 9, and he makes this notation in verse 6 through 8, he says this, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. In other words, not true children of God don't have to be necessarily of the bloodline of Abraham. He's saying here that some that are of the bloodline of Abraham are not true sons of Abraham, in the sense of having the same faith as Abraham. We're going to see that in Galatians chapter 3. He says, For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, in other words, who are bloodline, born from Abraham's seed. Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So those who believe in Jesus, according to Galatians chapter 3, those are the children of God. We must remember that in the beginning stages of the church, it was pretty much all Jewish. And then the Gentiles began to receive the gospel message. And we see that developing in the book of Acts from Peter and Paul and Cornelius and others, how it began to spread. And then we see that there was an Ephesian church there was a Corinthian church. There was a church in Colossae. There were churches that began to spring up. And now we have those epistles to those churches and by extension to the churches today. They're all for our good. The church originally was mostly all Jews. Now it includes Gentiles being grafted in and who have become one in Messiah, meaning that because of adoption, now we are sharers in the inheritance. With adoption, there is a father's perspective, praise be to God, and there are those who've been adopted and their perspective. And it's a beautiful thing. And Lord willing, I'm going to share this story that we played through one of our friends that joined us in Zoom. And it's the story of a father and his adopted son. And I pray we can bring that to you in short order. It will be a bonus episode listed as one in Messiah bonus adoption or something along those lines. But I want us to see something in Luke chapter 14. I want to begin the reading in verse 15. It says this, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he, meaning Jesus, said to him, this person, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. 
and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you've commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Hallelujah. God wants a full house. And I'm not talking about a TV show. God wants his house to be filled with family. He wants us as family. Not only that, he sought us out. He pursued the way to adopt us. He paid the price to adopt us. We're not redeemed with silver and gold, Peter tells us later on. But we're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. He paid our ransom. He bought us and gave us the right to become the children of God through adoption and sonship. Hallelujah. And because we are sons and daughters of God, we now have an inheritance. In Romans chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 and 23 through 25, it says this, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he, meaning Abraham, became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Then verse 23 through 25. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So notice in here we're told that it's the seed, meaning those who are of faith, those who believe in Jesus, and the inheritance was for all the seed, not just those of the law, Paul says here, meaning those of the circumcision, those who were Jewish by blood, who would believe in Jesus, but also of all of us that were Gentiles, that were brought in. Hallelujah. I want next to read to you Galatians chapter 3, and I want us to go back then and pull out something very important from this chapter. 
But first, I'd like to read it to you. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. I want to stop right here and just make a quick comment. Interesting here that he's talking about the law, which was given to Moses 400 and something years later after the promise was given to Abraham. And he's talking about the seed that this promise was made to had not yet come. In chronology, this was long after the birth of Isaac and the death of Isaac. This was long after. So this seed he's talking about, the one that would come to whom the promise was made, is Jesus Christ. He's already established that earlier, but I just wanted to point that out. You even know it here because of the chronology of the time frame. Verse 20 and continuing. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept 
for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I want to break this down just a little bit here in helping you understand what's going on here, what Paul is doing here. Paul was very educated. He was schooled under the schooling of Gamaliel and others. He was educated and he knew logic. As a matter of fact, Paul uses logic in many places in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3 is one such place. Now, I studied one course in logic, a beginning course in logic in college many years ago, and I don't remember everything from there, but I do remember this. The basics of logic is this. You present an argument for your case to be found to be true, your conclusion to be true, and to arrive there, you build your case on logic. You build it on certain premises, and if every one of those premises are true and solid, then your case, your conclusion, is found to be true and solid. If, on the other hand, any of those premises are untrue, then your argument conclusion is fallacious. It is false. It is not right. That is exactly what Paul does in Galatians chapter 3. And in doing so, he is proving the argument with proof positive about our inheritance to the Abrahamic covenant and who is heir to it. So let's go back in Galatians chapter 3 and see this. If this is true, then Paul has premises throughout Galatians chapter 3 that he has established his argument on. I find three basic premises, premise A, premise B, and premise C. Now let me just mention also, lawyers, this is what they're skilled in. This is part of their training because they have to present a case before a judge and they have to build it on premises that will convince the judge and the jury of their conclusion that they want the judge and the jury to arrive at. So this is similar to what a lawyer will do in a courtroom. But Paul knows logic and he is using that throughout the New Testament here in Galatians 3, one example of it. So let's look at what I believe to be the three basic premises in this chapter. Now within these, there are many premises I mean, M-I-N-I, many premises throughout that help establish each of these premises. So Paul is building upon the other. But I believe the three basic premises that tell us with proof positive of our inheritance is verse 7 is the first premise, premise A, verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not physical bloodline sons and daughters of Abraham in Paul's day and alive today. 
But what he's saying here, he's building a premise for who is a true inheritor, sharer in the covenant blessings of Abraham. So let's look at it. Verse 7, premise A. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And he explains what that means because he talks in this section about believing Abraham, how Abraham was given a promise. And even though in the natural it looked like there's no way it could be fulfilled, Abraham believed God. Premise A is the faith of Abraham. Those who are of faith, like believing Abraham, are true sons of Abraham. Premise B is found in verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ or Messiah, who is Messiah. So now we find out who do the promises belong to? Who is the rightful inheritor of those promises? Who were they speaking of? Who were they given to? They were given to the seed. Long beyond Isaac, we've already seen that in the chronology. Long beyond Isaac, he's talking about the seed of the Messiah, the promised one all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God said, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So premise B establishes who the promises were made to. Now, premise C, to wrap it up, premise C is found in verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we established, first of all, premise A, you had to have faith and believe God like Abraham did. Premise B, the promises were made to the Messiah, to Christ. He was the seed that the promises were made to. Premise C tells us you are all sons of, of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So in other words, if we have the faith of Abraham to believe God and our faith is in the seed, one to whom the promises were made, Jesus Christ, then we are now sons of Abraham, considered sons of Abraham, whether we are of the bloodline of Abraham or not. That's why we are one in Messiah, because it's all who will believe in Jesus, whether they be Jewish by blood or Gentile by blood. So therefore, Paul arrives at his conclusion in verse 29. And if you are Christ's, premise B, then you are Abraham's seed, premise A, and premise C, and heirs according to the promise, the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled and completely filled to the full in the new covenant. This is Paul's conclusion in verse 29, built on solid logic because every premise he established is true and solid. Therefore, the conclusion is also. Therefore, if you, my friend, are in Christ, if you truly have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again by the Spirit of the living God, then you are considered Abraham's seed by faith and 
heirs. You have an inheritance. That inheritance that Peter said is reserved in heaven for you. This is the conclusion, and it's true. Praise be to God. You are heirs through adoption, through sonship. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. So these form our Jewish heritage, our inheritance as true sons of God. Jesus has given us eternal life. He has inscribed us in the Lamb's book of life forever, not just for another year. Our name is there forever. This is his family album, his citizenry registry, and the album of his children by name through adoption. And because he has adopted us, we now have received the spirit of adoption and we can cry out to God, the Father, Abba, Father. He is our Daddy God. And we must remember and hold him in high reverence and high esteem. But praise be to God, he is now our Father, Abba, Father. Praise be to God. And it's all because we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for the remaining lessons in our One in Messiah series. And I pray that you can also join us. We will post the bonus episode with the interview of the father and his adopted son as soon as we can. Look for it in the near future. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.